Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share with my brothers and sisters. I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for your churches that have been meeting for thousands of years. And, and Lord, I thank you for the work that you do in them. Lord, I pray that you would um, cast aside any of my anxieties, any of my doubts uh, right now, Lord, any, any thoughts that are, are not what you would have shared with us this morning. Lord, I believe in the power of your spirit. Um, I believe that it is a, a force that moves within all of us. It's a person that guides us and, and communicates with us. And, and Lord, right now, we need your spirit. Lord, I need it to be able to share, and, and, and we need it to be able to receive. Lord, so I pray for your spirit to just come upon this room, to gather with us, and, and just as we sang, Lord, that you would give us a greater measure, that this would be a word for us today that would change the way that we approach things. Lord, that it would be like daily bread that gets us through uh, this week being a light for you in our communities. Lord, we ask this in your son's name. Amen. All right. So uh, today we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, 1 Thessalonians is one of the Pauline epistles. Uh, That basically means it's a letter that Paul wrote to one of the early churches. Most of Paul's epistles start off with a greeting, you know, something like, uh, like in the book of Ephesians, it says, uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus to the saints who are in Ephesus. Or in the book of Philippians, uh, it changes it up a little bit. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Now, most of the epistles, after this little kind of greeting section, there's a section of thanksgiving and prayer. Uh, it's, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a section where Paul would let the, the church know um, that he was thankful for them, that he was filled with joy. Um, it was a section where he would, he would um, thank God for the, the believers at that church and that he would uh, talk about that he would save them or he would uh, remember them in his prayers, that it would fill them with joy or that would fill him with joy uh, at the work that God was doing with them. And as I've studied the epistles over, you know, the, the time that I've been saved in the last couple of decades, one of the things that I would find myself doing, maybe you've done the same thing, is I would just kind of gloss over these. And I kind of feel like, you know, this is just formality. This is just Paul saying, hey, love you too. And it was just these flowery words to kind of affirm that, yes, I love you. Now, here's the things that you need to change, right? And I would just, yeah, I just kind of gloss over them, think there's not really much application here, and, and just kind of get into the meat. But I have a new perspective. And, and as I was, as Eric and I were talking about, you know, teaching today and stuff, and, and I was going through this passage, and I knew, I, knew, I thought, oh, you know, this, this end of Thessalonians, this kind of uh, final commands that Paul gives in the book kind of wraps it up. Um, I, I want to touch on that, but then as I, was, as I was looking at some of these other epistles and stuff, I thought, this, is, this isn't just formality. Like, this is genuine, heartfelt care that Paul had for these churches. And as, as I'm in this position now and I see this church, and, and I've been a part of a lot of churches, so it's not, you know, that I didn't love people before, but, but kind of like uh, having a kid, you know, you can, you can see other kids and you can love those kids and think, like, this is a great thing. Like, kids are amazing and they're, mir- they're miraculous and they're, they're 
slightly uh, centerling, <laughs> uh, centerling creatures, uh, but you love them still. But then when you have your own, it's a different connection. And, and you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, biological. I mean, adopting kids, the same thing. Like, you, you become bonded with those kids in a different way. And, and I'm bonded with you guys. Like, I look out and I see the work of the Spirit going on at our church, and I am so encouraged by it. And I think that Paul had this same feeling. I mean, whether it was um, Ephesus or Philippi or Corinth, all of these churches that he wrote to, there was this realization whenever he would think about them that God's faithfulness was active. And, and there's this affirmation by seeing God's faithfulness in a church, in a group of people, that encourages your own faith and, and reaffirms that God is real and he's in our midst. Um, so, I, I mean, I look out at you guys, I think there is so much that's happened. I mean, we've been here for just a few years and I see people that are hungry for the word and growing in their faith, I mean, all over, right? I mean, I see people who have just kind of latched onto this, and it's changing who they are. Um, I've seen people who have been extraordinarily generous, and, and not just in finances, but in serving. I mean, we have people um, who serve week in, week out to set this up, make it happen, never noticed, never acknowledged, that, that, oh, you know, I mean, like, we have people that drive a trailer. They get up at 6 o'clock in the morning or 5.30 in the morning. I don't even know when to get the trailer here on time. And, and you know, people who are setting up beforehand and, and cleaning up afterward. And, and they're serving faithfully. They're being extraordinarily generous. Um, we have people who have gone through tragedies in, uh, in the last couple of years. And they've sought joy through it. And, and we've seen the fruit of their faith. Um, we have people giving their time and resources to help widows and, and the forgotten. Um, we have our deacons that, that we introduced last week that are uh, looking to encourage that even more. Uh, people have stepped up to serve and taken responsibility in, in so many different areas. We've seen marriages and babies and deaths and everything else that would kind of happen in life over the last two years. And through it all, I've seen God knitting a people together and, and creating a community. And, and it, this sounds really obvious as I stand here and I think, this really isn't that, that mind-blowing, like everybody knew this already. But it's so important, and, and I think we just take it for granted sometimes that this is how God works. He's going to knit a people together to go out and impact the world around them. Um, <laughs> and I believe that's what's happening, right? Uh, it's encouraging to be part of this movement of the Spirit. And I believe that God is orchestrating it among us with a purpose. So as, as I think about that, as I see that, and, and I feel the joy and thankfulness that Paul felt in those passages, it becomes so clear that these weren't just formalities. Like these are the overflowing of, really, they're the overflowing of Christ's love and Paul and Paul's love for the people and, and the people's love to go out to the community. So we have... Uh, this opportunity today is, as we're looking at uh, the end of 1 Thessalonians to look at how as a church we can come together and do this more. Because as I look at you guys, like I think that God has way more planned for us. I mean, I think church plants are going to come out of here. There's people in this room that will be planting churches in the future. 
And, and some of you are thinking, like, well, that's definitely not me. And it is. Like, I mean, we're not talking about next week, but, you know, in the years to come. Because that's the way God works. He, he grows things slowly. And he uses the things, uh, the small things to confound the wise, or the, the foolish things to confound the wise. Um, I think that you guys are like the Thessalonian church. You guys are like the church in Thessalonica. Because in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, and 10, Paul wrote, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And, and that's what today is about, right? If, if, if there's something for you to take away, it's that I encourage you guys to go and do what you're doing more and more. That's why I loved the, the worship song talking about asking for a greater measure and the prayer and, and just having that at the beginning. Uh, we didn't coordinate that, but it was coordinated. So let's open up to 1 Thessalonians. That's my 10-minute introduction. I always do these long introductions. <laughs> so open up to 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, navigate down to verse 12. We're going to read through verse 22, and we're going to be looking at Paul's final instructions to the Thessalonians uh, to see how we can continue to grow in our brotherly love. So starting in verse 12, it says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. There is lots of good stuff in this passage. Uh, it's like you came this morning for a brunch, but you found out it was a buffet. Good? Right. I, I looked at it this morning and I was like, but it's all salad. Yeah. Uh, this is not salad. This is a meat and potatoes passage, right? Uh, let's Let's start, at looking, let's start by looking at some of the basics. Uh, who is in this passage, right? When, when I kind of look at a passage, I kind of start by saying, okay, who is this passage to? Who is involved in it? What are some of the connections here? And especially as we're, we're looking at relationships today. Um, so we see in the passage the people of the church, right? So it says, you know, brothers. Um, they're addressed as brothers, and, and this includes, you know, the, the people of the church, not just the, the men, uh, we see the leaders of the church, right? The rest of the community around the church. Uh, we also see the Trinity, right? We see God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit all in this passage kind of represented. Uh, as we look at the commands in this passage and the dynamics that are encouraged between the people that are addressed and talked about, uh, that's what I kind of want us to look at this morning is how do these relationships work what is Paul telling the Thessalonians uh, to do in order to pursue that command earlier that we, we pursue, or that we grow in that brotherly love more and more? So we're looking at these relationships. Uh, looking at the leaders in verse 12 and 13, it says, the people, uh, the people of the church, 
are asked by Paul to respect those who labor among them and are over you in the Lord. Um, He takes this even a step further by saying that he hopes that you would esteem them highly in love because of the work they do. Now, Alexander Strzok wrote a book called Biblical Eldership, and he describes the work of an elder. He says, um, an elder leads the church. We've got 1 Timothy 5.17, Titus 1.7, 1 Peter 5.1.2. These references are all throughout this this uh, this definition, which is great because I think that's the foundation. We should be looking for biblical references when we're, we're talking about what we're to do, looking for the definitions of things. So I'm not going to read the rest of the references, but you guys can see them up there. Um, it says, elders lead the church, they teach and preach the word, protect the church from false teachers, exhort and admonish the saints in sound doctrine, they visit the sick and pray, and judge doctrinal issues. In biblical terminologies, elders shepherd, oversee, lead, and care for the local church. So that's, that's kind of the, the big picture. This passage is looking specifically at laboring among them and admonishing, right? So the laboring among them kind of includes all that stuff, but then there's this specific thing that Paul brings out, admonishing. Now, normally, someone who would warn you or reprimand you firmly, which is the definition of admonish, is not esteemed with great love, right? Like, this is not two things that normally go together. Uh, So, if you have a relationship with someone, though, that you do have that strong love, and they come and admonish you, usually that is really valuable, right? You trust that person, and you think that they have their best uh, concern or, or your best interest in, at their, their primary concern. So as leaders in the church, uh, we need to be building relationships that encourage respect and esteem by basing them on love and service. So this first kind of relational aspect uh, starts with the leaders, kind of setting this example. So myself and Josh and Eric, um, that's our, our hope, is that we're building relationships with you guys that would allow you to hear admonishment from us. And, and same with our elders, same with our ministry leaders. Really, this is anything that's commanded to the leaders, it's going to echo in the church as well. So this isn't you know, void of you guys either. We should all be doing this. Um, and our relationships, the kind of first thing we see here is our relationships should be built on love and service to others. So we see church leaders serving the people of the church. Uh, they're not the only ones serving in this passage, right? In verse 14, there are three specific uh, kind of commandments for a service among uh, each other. They are to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak. So let's talk about who are the idle, um, because we may be tempted to think that the idle are people who are lazy, right? Like they're idle, they're not doing anything, they're not following through. Um, but the Greek word here is, <clears throat> I'm going to get in trouble here, atuktos, atuktos. Uh, if you go to Blue Letter Bible, you can hear Justin Alfred uh, speak it much better than I do, so... You can, can look it up there. Uh, but it is a, a word that means, um, uh, actually, that's, uh, da, 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 okay. It's a word that means spiritually insubordinate, right? So it's kind of like uh, if somebody was uh, unruly in their spiritual um, obedience to the church, to God, to, to life. 
so if, there, if we want to look at uh, an example of what I think this really encapsulates, um, James describes them in chapter 1, 23. Uh, book of James, it says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. Right? So the idle are people who have heard commandments from the word and they've not obeyed. That's the, the idol in this passage. This isn't the, the, the person who you know, isn't finding a job or, or isn't you know, helping or, or isn't doing something. It's, it's somebody who is in spiritual disobedience. So a couple of examples. Um, some of you may be tolerating some sort of immorality. You need to stop being idle because your flirtation is going to lead to death. Some of you may be zealous and puffed up. You might be going around arguing points of theology rather than serving others. So I would say to you, stop being idle. Your words are hurting people instead of helping them. Some of you may be consumed by worry or anxiety or jealousy, and you need to stop being idle because the eternal security of life with Christ far outweighs the things that you're being consumed by, that you're allowing to birth that anxiety or jealousy or pride. This command of of the three, this command, I believe, is the hardest one of the three because it goes directly against our pride. Because when we read it, it says we are to admonish the idol. But if we flip that, that means that we, as part of the body, need to be open to admonishment. And that is a difficult thing to receive, right? So from this command, I would say, our relationships must have a foundation of humility. As as, as we're relating to one another, as we're building these relationships, they, they have to be founded on humility. Now, the next one is easier, right? Encourage the faint-hearted. I mean, who doesn't want to be an encourager? Right? Like That is like, oh yeah, let's do that. Uh, so, so this is good. The, the faint-hearted, uh, the Greek word is oligosukos. If somebody knows Greek as Scots here, he would probably be able to correct me. Uh, but since he's not, we're just going to go with that. Uh, it means small-souled or despondent. So the faint-hearted are those whose spirits have been crushed, whose hope has been lost. Um, they've been through tragedy, they've been through pain, and or they've suffered in some way. How do we encourage them? Now, it really depends on the cause of the spiritual exhaustion, right? Praying is always a good thing, uh, sometimes with them, sometimes you know, later on afterward without them. Um, scripture is helpful, helpful as a reminding of the truth and the source of their hope, but you want to be careful, right? Um, I had a friend, uh, when, when I was teaching his name, uh, I actually mentioned him earlier, Justin Alfred. Um, I taught with him. He's a pastor and, and just a, a really great man. Uh, they lost a daughter uh, in a tragic accident. She was actually murdered um, by somebody. I, I don't want to get into all the details, but, but their daughter died. She was, you know, uh, early 20s, I believe, if I remember correctly. And the day that we found out, I taught with him, and the day that we found out, he and his wife, um, I went to their house, and I had no idea what to do. 
I mean, I was an early or mid-20s guy anyways, and, and they've lost their daughter. And, I mean, they're, you know, experienced in, in ministry and service and their faith and studied. And, and I'm just this kid who's teaching at a high school. And I went to their house, and I walked in, and there's, you know, tons of people there. And Justin's this big guy. He's a martial artist. He, he I mean, he's, <laughs> he's a martial artist. We'll just leave it at that. Um, and I walked up to him, and, and as I came in, he said, Brother David, and he came over and just weeping. And he just fell on me. And I thought, I don't know what to do. But I didn't have to do anything. He didn't need to know hope. He just needed me to weep with him. It changed my life. It was a... Sorry, just thinking about that time. I mean, it's so sad, but there's just joy out of it too because it taught me how to grieve with someone and not feel like I had to fix it. So as we look at encouraging... I'm sorry, guys. I had my notes tell the Justin or tell the Alfred story, and I thought oh, I'm feeling okay. And then I was like, "Oh no, okay, here it comes." Um, so as as we as we look at that, as we think about how do we encourage someone, we have to know them. We have to know the situation, and and this command, this encouraging the faint-hearted. The thing that we need to know from it is that our relationships have to have deep roots. I mean, if you look at the people next to you, behind you, and in front of you, and you have no idea what's going on in their life, you're not going to be able to encourage them if they're faint-hearted. Right? I mean, that's just, that's just going to be the truth of the matter. Um, the last of these three commands is to help the weak. Um, who are the weak? <clears throat> The asthana, 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 I don't know. Uh, Without, (laughs) means in the Greek, without strength, feeble, and impotent. So the weak are those who are unable to protect or provide for themselves. Um, They're powerless um, and are often taken advantage of, right? So uh, biblically, the the first kind of group that is often kind of put in this are widows and orphans. And, And in the context of history, um, there was a reason that widows and orphans specifically were thought of as powerless because the system was against them, right? They didn't have the ability to, you know, like the widows, for instance, didn't have the ability to own property or, you know, at different times in, in history. And um, the orphans, you know, the life even going outside of the, the United States um, into other countries, I and mean, we talk about Cambodia and, and the work that um, is being done over there, the, the value of life, the value of children is very different. So, so there's a, a powerlessness that they have. Um, they could be persecuted, abused, or cast aside. But people who are persecuted, abused, or cast aside are not automatically weak. Um, but the weak are often plagued by those things, right? Because usually people with power will persecute people who can't fight back rather than persecute people who could um, so, so, you know, we will receive persecution spiritually, but we are not weak in that area. I mean, we have the strength of Christ within us 
to persevere and actually to have that persecution used for his glory. Uh, but, but hopefully you guys kind of understand the, the relationship between these things. Um, the help that we provide is the thing that they're powerless to produce. So this could be food, clothing, housing, transportation, protection, or healing. Uh, no matter the need, it's going to provide you, or it's going to cost you something to provide it, right? So, so this call to help the weak is more than just prayer. It's to sacrifice something and meet a need that they're not able to meet or able to meet. So this shows us that our relationships must be selfless, right? Um, we have to be more concerned about the other person than ourselves. In all of these, we're called to be patient. Um, the idle do not change overnight, right? Uh, the exhausted don't, you know, pray for them and be, oh man, that was great. I'm ready to go again. I mean, usually, sometimes, not usually. Uh, so they don't receive uh, rest instantaneously, and the weak don't always gain their strength back. So this could be something that's ongoing. So patience is needed as we live out these commands. Um, in verse 15, we're commanded to be sure that no one repays evil for evil, but instead we're always to seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Uh, in some ways, like this section is just a recap of what was just said, right? Like seek to do these good things, don't do evil things. Um, but this is, there's a, there's a, a I don't know, a, a, a term for one another. And that term is used like 94 times in the New Testament. Um, if you look on your chairs when you came in this morning, there are little cards or little slivers of paper that have a verse on it. I want you guys to look it up, because this is for you guys. These are all one another verses, and I would encourage you guys to, to look it up, uh, to live it out this week, and, and look at the people around you and think, this is a command from God, that you do these things to love one another. Now, there are a few that say to greet one another with a holy kiss. I took those out. But I'll just tell you guys, you're commanded to do that. And, you know, you're, you're commanded to greet one another with enthusiasm, right, with, with, um, with friendship. Uh, but, but take these home with you. I, I think this is a good way to see uh, the brotherly love in our church grow and, and to just be purposeful with it. Um, if you guys are in the back, there's, there's some over there. I didn't put any on the, the tables over there, but there's extra. You guys can grab them. <coughs> Excuse me. So I want you guys to be building relationships with people of this church purposefully for the sake of the gospel uh, because Paul purposefully commands that we seek to do good to one another before he adds in everyone else. Because if we're not doing good to one another, how are we going to be doing good to those who are not with us here? Right? Make sense? I mean, if we're not good at taking care of each other, it's kind of like, you know, do you want to join a family that's always backstabbing and, and bat, or backbiting and gossiping and hurting each other? No. Like, they don't have anything going on. We don't want to, we don't want to put ourselves into that. Uh, so as a family, we need to 
put on display Christ. And, and this is made like really clear by Jesus, right? Because if we look at uh, John 13, 34, and 36, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Pretty straightforward, right? Uh, the only way we can live these commands out, though, is to build, our found, build on the foundation set by Jesus. And, and that's what I love about that passage in John, is that we're just doing as he does. And even more than that, we know that he has given us the power of the Spirit within so if we have any hope of living out these commands, Paul's shared with us, we have to continually focus on the eternal promises of God through Jesus Christ. And when we look into those eternal promises, as we remind ourselves of the things that God has done for us, we should be rejoicing always, like it says in verse 16. God's work is at hand. If we just look up to see what he's doing, and look past the moments that we're in, we can take joy in the promises that he's made for us in the future. Uh, we should be praying without ceasing, right? Uh, we should be dependent on his spirit, not just in times of need, but also in times of plenty. A life without prayer is a life of complacency. If we feel like, no, I got this one, God. That's not a good place to be, right? Right? At best, it means that you're being prideful. At worst, it means that Satan has completely taken any power away from you to make impact. He's just kind of made you complacent in, in where you're at, and, and you're not depending upon the Lord to accomplish things with your life that would make an impact for the kingdom. You're just kind of doing your own thing. So if we're, if we're not praying, that has serious repercussions. Uh, we should be giving thanks in all circumstances because... Our greatest need has been met, and the burdens of this world are temporary, right? So we can give thanks in times of tragedy, and I've seen this by people in this room, that they've gone through terrible life situations that would crush anybody, but they've found joy because they continue to look at the eternal promises that we receive through Christ Jesus. Uh, do not quench the spirit, right? In yourself, through doubt, addiction, or idolatry, or in others, through ridicule, belittlement, or disregard. Right? I want to say that one more time. We, we do not quench the Spirit. We do not, work, we do not push back the power of the Spirit in our lives through our own doubts, through our own addictions, or our own idolatry, or in other people, that power in other people by ridiculing them, belittling them, questioning or disregarding what the Spirit is, is bringing up in them, right? We want to question things. We want to, you know, discuss and, and find truth together. But we want to encourage people that are, that are seeking the Spirit. Uh, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Uh, we want to heed the counsel and admonishment and teaching of your brothers and sisters in Christ. But we want to test everything against the Word of God. We need to be diligent students of the Bible and make that a priority in our life because somebody could and somebody will, you know, have good intentions and think, gosh, you know, this is really something that I, I feel like the Lord has told me to tell you or, or you know, discuss with you or, or bring out that I think you're doing. And we need to receive it and then test it and then continue to, to pursue together what the Spirit is trying to reveal to us there. 
And, and the one thing that we know is consistently dependable is the word of God. So we can always go back to that together to test what the Spirit's doing in our lives. We need to abstain from every form of evil. Watch what you consume, right? Uh, Be careful of the lust of the flesh, the wandering of the eye, and the pride of life. The desires of our heart should be for the things of God. We should not be entertained by corruptible things that are distracting us from him. Um, I'm not uptight. Like, I, you know, you guys have freedom in Christ, but there are a ton of things in our world that lead to no good place. And just because you can be involved in them, just because you think it's entertaining, you know, it's got a good story or it's got a, you know, a, a great special effects or, you know, it's... it's it's a, it's a fun place to be or, you know, whatever it is, we should not be entertaining ourselves with things that are corruptible. So stop. Find other things. Uh, when I was in high school, and again, this is not to, to lift me up as, as an example in any way, shape, or form, um, but I remember there was a movie that came out. Uh, it was like a Spartan movie. I don't remember which one it was. I think it was the one with Brad Pitt and other people. Um, <laughs> And I remember I, I was growing in my faith a lot at that time. And, you know, uh, as, a, as a young man, I mean, lust was always a thing that, that I, most young men that I know, I mean, most men that I know struggle with. And I saw that there was nudity in this film. And I thought, you know what? I really wanted to see this film. And I made a choice not to see it because... There's a thousand other movies I could go see. Like, I don't need to see this one movie. I can find other things that are good to watch. And, you know, this is not, again, not to say that uh, there's any specific law on what you should or shouldn't be consuming or, or things like that, but I think that there's some pretty specific guidelines. And if we watch this and we think, at the end of the day, this doesn't lead me closer to God, then it's negotiable at best. Right? And it's, it's destructive at worst. So those are the three things, <clears throat> and, and then the dependency that we would have on them. And we end this passage at the beginning because the community of our church begins with us individually pursuing Jesus with everything that we have, and then corporately pursuing that together. Our relationships have got to be an overflowing of our relationship with Jesus. If the love that he's shown us fills us to a point that it starts overflowing, then the people around us will feel the benefits of that. And that's how it worked with the Trinity, right? Before God created, there was the Trinity, and they were in fellowship with one another. And the love and community that they had overflowed into creation, And then they were able to share that with us. So again, we're just going back and doing what God has done for us. Um, It's made possible by the work of Jesus Christ. And, And as that work affects our life, as we look at his perfect life, we look at the sacrifice on the cross, the resurrection, the rebirth 
of us, the, the covering of our sin, <clears throat> as we're able to forgive one another and pursue relationship, then that will overflow into the community of Menifee and it will be a blessing for them. Because our community, because if our community is centered on the cross and resurrection, and that overflows, if that thing overflows into Menifee, like God will be glorified, right? It, our community has got to be centered on the cross. And, and it's got to be centered on Jesus. And Menifee needs Jesus, right? I mean, amen? Like that makes sense? Okay. Um, we're going to, in, in the same vein, uh, start to, to look at communion today. So the worship team can come up. Um, when I was thinking about teaching about community today, thinking about teaching about, you know, the community that we have and, and the relationships that we have with one another, <clears throat> I thought, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of that has to do with the peace, the forgiveness, um, the commands that, that Paul has in here and in other places, um, that we would be patient with one another, have grace on one another. And, and I thought about that costs us something, right? Somebody, you know, uh, if somebody's over at the house and, and you know, they uh, sit on the coffee table and the coffee table breaks, right? <laughs> I would say, you're forgiven. I still have to pay for the coffee table, Right? It costs me some. That forgiveness costs me something. But what it, what it results in is the maintaining of the relationship. Because if I don't pay that price, what I am paying is I'm paying with the price of the relationship. So I have a choice to either absorb the pain, the suffering, the brokenness that's caused by this coffee table, or I can sacrifice the relationship. And that's what Jesus did on the cross, right? But as we go to the communion table today and we remember, like, Jesus was in the same position. Like, we broke his coffee table. We went to his house and we broke his coffee table and he had a choice. He could either pay for the coffee table, pay for the, the, the result of our sin, or he could sacrifice the relationship. And isn't it awesome that he chose to make the payment rather than sacrifice the relationship. Like that is, a, is an awesome thing. And, and we, we think about this coffee table example and coffee tables are cheap, right? Like it would be totally thinking right now, I was like, well, I, wouldn't, I just would pay for the coffee table. They don't have to pay for me, I could do it. We couldn't. Like this coffee table was one of a kind, cannot be replaced. Our sin cannot be earned or, or forgiven or, or restored on our own behalf. So as, as we go, like, this is an amazing thing that was done. And, and this is the start of this overflowing. So I'm going to close this in prayer. I, I just, I'm so excited to see what God's going to do in the next few years with these people. Because... It is, it is small, insignificant things that God uses to confound the wise. He uses to confound the powerful. And, and there are people out in our community right now who don't know the Lord. And they will 
because they're going to come into contact with one of you in the coming days and weeks and months, and you're going to build a relationship, and they're going to see something different, and then they're going to come here, and they're going to see different things, and they're going to say, this isn't like what the world is like. This isn't like what the world tells me church is like. And we're going to live out that passage in John that we are going to be known to be disciples of Jesus because of our love for one another. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, I I thank you that you are a God who restores people. Lord, I'm, I'm thankful that you are a God who fills us with your spirit or that meets us and and doesn't abandon us but but empowers us to change. Lord, I'm thankful that you are a God who is patient. Or as as I raise my own kids, I think I need more patience and they're not half as unruly and spiritually disobedient as I am to you. And Lord, I thank that, I thank you that you are more than sufficient. Lord, I thank you that uh, just as it says at the end of Thessalonians, Lord, that you have begun this work and that you will be faithful to complete it. Lord, as, as we move into a time of worship, as we move into a time of communion, I just pray that, that you would bring the weight of our sin on us right now, that we could see it, that we could feel it, and then remind us that it's not really there. That it hasn't, gen- hasn't just been, been looked away from. You haven't just turned your, your face from it, but you paid for it. It's gone. Or this is not cheap grace that we have received. It is the most expensive thing ever paid for in the history of creation. And we've each had the opportunity to to come to your table and to be reminded of the, the gift that you have given us. Lord, we love you. I pray that you would fill us overflowing with your love, that we might love others as well. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.